one of the most amazing things about becoming a Christian, I was at university when I became a Christian. And um, to realize that God actually wanted to do something with my life was a profound thing. That he wasn't just some God that wanted you know, to, me to go to church for the rest of my life, but that actually before he'd made the world, before he created anything, he had something that he wanted to do with me. And I remember as this young Christian, I'd just come out of drugs, come out of the occult. I was at varsity, but I wasn't studying much. And, and, um, and realizing that, that this God had, had kind of made a claim on my whole life. And I fell in love with him. And uh, I, I had really loved myself and loved the world before that. But I fell so in love with him that everything that I had loved and lived for before felt like it faded away. And I began to serve God. I was 20 years old. I'm now 52, turning 52 in about a week or two's time. And it's been an amazing, uh, it's been an amazing number of years. Just I'm so glad that I picked this path, especially looking at my friends who chose different paths. I look at what they are and I'm thinking, thank God that I stayed in Jesus and I remained in Him. And so I really want to talk about that. And, and, and the, really the, the gist of what I want to get to is the importance of us knowing Jesus and staying in Him. Uh, because... You and I will never walk in what God's got for us without an intimate, personal relationship with God. It's not religion in the sense, but it's not. It is a a living, vital relationship. And it's one where you come to Him and you surrender. You know, my life is not mine. I was bought, the Bible says, for the price. And so I live for Him and I want to serve Him. But I know the only way that I can serve Him is by remaining in Him. And He, he says this, Jesus actually teaches this in John 15 verse 1 to 8. And I think I even might, oh, yeah, okay. So let's read it together. Jesus is talking to His disciples and He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then he starts getting to the keys. You are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. And then he says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. I want you to see the word remain, how often it's being used here. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus finds us at all sorts of different places. Uh, most of you look a whole lot more together than I was when I came to him. Uh, I was, like I said, 20 years old. I was demon-possessed. I, I was in the occult. Um, I was living for surfing and living for pleasure, basically. And coming to him, he... he he changed everything in me, and he began to just teach me how to walk with him. And I can stand in front of you, and if you look at the things that God's done in my life, I mean, you're here because of what God's done in my life. This church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for what Jesus did in my life. And yet, I'm only just an individual that was, I had demons cross out of me twice. Because I didn't know how to stay free when I got saved. And yet, God took me, and by remaining in him, 
He has done things that have blown my mind. I sometimes can't believe at the things that Jesus has done. Just through a life, it said, Lord, I want to remain in you. And I know looking at you guys, you are a sea of potential for the kingdom of God. But the key, the key to everything here for you and me is outside of him, you can do nothing. But if you remain in him, you will bear fruit for the Father's glory. And one day you'll hear him say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. And so I want to talk a bit about remaining in him because I think it is the most important thing in the kingdom. He talks about pruning and that's another preach in itself. But the part that we have to do is remain in him. He actually uses that um, eight times in four verses, which is a big deal. He's kind of making a point here. Like this is the key to everything in the kingdom of God, remaining in Jesus. And, um, and, and this word remaining, like what does that mean? What does it mean to remain in Jesus? Is that just some kind of theory or, or what does it mean? And we know the Bible teaches us and we know this also by experience, that when you meet God, you meet a personal God. I grew up in the church. I turned away from it because it felt like it was full of hypocrisy. And, um, you know, I, I ended up at varsity and, and then just living for what I wanted to live for. But when I met God at 20 years of age, I met a person. I remember hearing his voice for the first time, knowing for the first time that I was a sinner. Christians had told me that for years. And I just got annoyed with them. But I remember sitting in a church, and for the first time, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I knew I needed Him. And I gave my life to Him, and I started this journey of walking with Jesus. And it's been amazing. I hope for each one of you is that you will uh, learn to walk in Him. And the, the word remain in the Greek, it, 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 it's meno, which, and I want us to just look at meno. How is this word used in the Bible? Because it, it kind of starts to teach us what Jesus means when it says, when He says, Remain in me and I'll remain in you and you'll bear much fruit. The biggest thing you've got to do for the rest of your life is just stay close to him. If you keep that, you, 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 you're going to be all right and the Lord will do stuff in you. If you don't, you're obviously in real danger of withering because you lose your root and drying up and dying. And you will see friends. Um, I remember when I was your age and, you know, many of my friends were up there with worship and so many of those are no longer in the kingdom of God today. Some have died outside of the kingdom of God. And so I'm just so grateful that the Lord kept me, but that I also did my very best to remain in Him. Now, the word meno is used, as I mentioned, in a number of places. And I'm going to look at a few. And this is where the title of the preach comes, Remain in the Ship. Because in one of the Bible stories that we read about in Acts, I won't read the whole story because we're outdoors. I'll tell you the story. But Paul is this guy that gets radically saved. Um, he's kind of quite militant against the church. And he has this radical encounter with Jesus when he's actually going to kill Christians. And on the way to kill some Christians, he meets Jesus and gets saved. And he becomes this incredible man that just turns the world upside down. And because of him, we're all here, actually, because he, he, he wrote down so much of the New Testament and even this revelation that, I mean, are there any Jews here? Because the rest of us wouldn't be here if it wasn't for what Paul did as the Lord used him. Because the Jews, Jesus came for the Jews. And then it was Paul really that broke open the Gentile world. And so we're here because of that man. And one day we'll meet him face to face and that's going to be super cool. I'm just going to be like, I'm the worthy, I'm the worthy. <laughs> super grateful for what the Lord did in him. But he was a, a man that really gave himself to the Lord. But he, he's preaching the gospel and planting churches. And at some point, the Roman world is finding this threatening. And I think we're heading for those days 
I've had a few skirmishes with the government. I actually had a government official tell me they were going to kill me. Just, uh, yeah, so it's been quite an interesting journey for me already. Now, I literally had a guy say, you back off or we'll take you out. And I was like, seriously? He said, yeah, seriously, we'll take you out. And I've had a few death threats as a Christian. I'll tell you one of those at the end of my story. But, um, but um, Paul is really getting up the nose of, of Rome because he's preaching this gospel. And people are turning away from all these religions in Rome and becoming Christians. And so at one point, they arrest him and they're taking him to Rome to actually be standing in front of Caesar. And he's gonna, he'll eventually die in Rome, eventually. They'll behead him in Rome. But he's on his way there, and he's on the ship as a prisoner. And uh, they're about to leave. The, they leave this port. He's kind of a prisoner on this boat and with the ship. And they're moving, I think it was around the island of Crete, if I remember right, on their way to Rome. And um, this massive storm comes up. And their little boats aren't like ships. They're like... And so when the storm comes up, the Bible says hurricane strength winds. Now, I know I've been in Israel um, and uh, in Israel itself, which is kind of in that area, uh, this wasn't in Israel, but it was quite near. Because of the Mediterranean Sea and the, the way the geography works, you can get winds that can blow incredibly strong. And even in the Sea of Galilee, which is really small, you can have like seven or eight meter waves. And that's a very small sea. He's on a larger sea now on his way to Rome. And there's this gale force, hurricane force winds hit this boat. And so at one point, everyone, they're trying to go this way. They realize... This boat's not going to make it. So they drop the sails, and they turn the boat around, and they just throw anchors out the back. It's too deep, and they, they're just hoping the anchors will hold them, and they're just riding the storm out, hoping that the boat will survive. And this carries on for a number of days. It's kind of, if you ever seasick, you don't want to be on that boat. And um, it's not going well, and people are getting really nervous. They start throwing off, um, because they, they're scared they're going to die. And Paul has a dream, and I want to... And in the dream, Jesus comes to him, one angel comes to him and says that if everyone stays on this boat, everyone will survive. God will give, God has graciously given you the lives of everyone on the boat, but everyone must remain on the boat. And so he says in Acts 27, verse 31, could you put that up for me? So Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, these are the guys that have arrested him now and they've got him as a prisoner. And, and people are wanting to leave the boat and try and get off. And he says, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. That word stay is meno. It's the same word. And you start to get this beautiful picture of you're on this boat. There's a wild storm. And you have to remain on the boat. You can't get off the boat for any reason. And there's a few things that I'm going to pull out of this story that just are, 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 are just great pictures of figures of speech. Hurricane storm winds hitting this thing. But they have to remain in the boat. If Jesus says, remain in me. Like they face storms, do you know that you will face hurricane strength winds? But the winds you face won't be physical winds. They'll be winds of culture and winds of doctrine that'll sweep through your world. And they'll try and tear you off the boat. They'll try and say, get off this boat. This thing is not a good place to hang out on anymore. And the danger is, Jesus, as he says, unless you remain on this ship, unless you remain with me, you're, you're not going to make it. And um, the Bible talks about, um, and, and this is a radical scripture, uh, remaining in even Christ's teachings. The things that Jesus taught are true and good. But our world has twisted those teachings so much and the concepts behind them so much that what seems good is actually bad. And what seems bad is actually good. We live in a world where the Bible says Satan is the God of this world. In other words, the one who rules over the earth right now is the devil. Do you remember Jesus when he was being tempted? The devil said to him, 
You want the kingdoms of the world, don't you? They're mine. I can give them to anyone I want to. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. They said, they belong to me. If you bow down and worship me, I will give them to you. And Jesus said, I won't bow down and worship you. I'll only worship God. And so we know the world that we're in actually is hostile to God. And so the culture that we grow up in, the way that people think, the way that they perceive right and wrong, actually is hostile to God. And the problem is our culture kind of blinds us. It shapes us. It makes us think a certain way. Um, And once you start thinking a certain way, it's really hard to see differently. Another thing that's happening is the Bible says, so let's read this, 2 John 9. Um, Anyone who runs ahead, and again, you've got this picture of staying in Jesus, but also in his teaching. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So part of what it means to remain in Jesus is to hold on to the things that he taught. Hold on to what the Bible teaches. And and, and there'll be a lot that'll come at you to try and squeeze you out of the teachings of the Bible and try and twist and pervert your concepts of right and wrong. Because if you start to think that God is wrong, you'll eventually rebel against him. And so there's this fight on and the devil comes to us and he tries to deceive us and he comes with teachings. And one of the big things you'll face, I hope all of you end up in one of the partnering churches and there are some healthy churches, but there's not a lot of healthy churches anymore in the world. I mean, when I was saved in 1990, church, I mean, if you were born again, it meant something. I don't even hear churches teaching about being born again anymore. When we were saved, we were saved out of the church, out of the world. We were saved into Jesus. There was this radical encounter that we had. And, and people that were kind of traditional churchgoers often didn't seem to know God. But today that divide is gone. And it's almost like, well, you're not a Muslim, so you're a Christian. And I'm like, no. To be a Christian is to know Him. To know Him personally. For him, you, you, I know Him. I hear His voice. He, speak, he spoke to me today. Uh, And so this is coming into God and then remaining in the things that he teaches. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, we read about strong winds. And this is a strong winds of doctrine that will sweep through the church. In other words, a teaching can sweep through the church like a wild storm can sweep through a sea when you're on the boat. You can be going along and suddenly some new teaching emerges. And it's so strong and so pervasive that it starts to feel like it's driving you off course and bending your ship and bending your sails. And so the Bible says this in 1 Timothy. Um, it is 1 Timothy, yeah? 1 Timothy 4.1. So this is Paul, again, writing to one of his young disciples, one of his young leaders. And he says this. The Spirit clearly says that in the last times some will abandon the faith. And follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In other words, there are teachings around you in churches that are actually demonic teachings. Because this is in the faith. People that are in the faith, but they're now abandoning the faith because they haven't remained in the teachings of Christ. And so you've got to keep your wits about you. You need to test what we say even because anyone can come as a deceiver. And so you've got to keep your wits because there are storms coming at you and teachings, and some of them sound really cool. In fact, the Bible says the end times teachings will make our itchy, kind of like itchy ear stuff. You've had an itchy ear. It is the most frustrating thing on the planet. It's like, oh, my ear is itchy right now, and I'm going to die for it and scratch it. The Bible says in the end times, we will gather a great numbers of teachers around us to tell us what our itchy ears want to hear. 
In other words, the end times church will see a pervasion of, of, of lots of teachers telling you stuff that's really cool. Being really cool. Making the service really cool. But actually when it's really cool, it's probably demons. Because this is how the devil comes. He comes masquerading as an angel of light. He comes to try and corrupt us. He comes with things that seem good, but actually there's a twist in the tail. There's a poison in the chalice that you're not aware of. Are you seeing this? So the Bible says in the end times, clearly that some are going to abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Don't be one of those. When the winds of bad teachings are sweeping through the churches, Stand firm in the teachings that Jesus said. And if it's, uh, another thing I want to say to you, if it's, a new, if it's new, it's not true. John Wesley said this years ago. The guy that started the Methodist church, he said this. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. In other words, when a new guy comes up and he starts to say, well, really, the Greek doesn't say what everyone else says. And they've got all these Bible guys that have studied the Bible and they've translated it. And he says, no, no, those are all wrong. I've got the best interpretation. Most of those guys don't even know Greek. Greek is very complicated. I've got a basic understanding of it. I'm no expert. And very few people are. But when guys come with this new teaching, no, the Greek doesn't say, look at your Bible. It doesn't mean that. Run. Run. Because you know. These are men that have grappled with original, original documents. They've grappled with what does this word mean. They've, they've faithfully studied it and tried to present it. Well, they've groups of run. And you're going to hear a lot of people saying, in the Greek, it doesn't say what. Just run. And when it's itchy ear stuff, in other words, when, it, when, when your unsafe friends go, that's cool, run. Your unsafe friends should either go, this sucks, because it's a sense of death to them, or... It's a aroma of life. They fall on their knees and they go, I'm a sinner. But if they can walk in and out and go, that was quite cool. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And I, I say this to you because you are in the end times church. You are an end times generation. And so you're going to have winds of doctrine coming at you to blow your ship off course, to make you try and bail on Jesus, bail on the teachings that Jesus did. Do not bail from the ship. Do not leave the ship. Because if you leave the ship, you're going to die. Hold on to these teachings. Okay. We, one of the things I often say is we have, to, we have to discuss the difficult things. It's hard to discuss the difficult things. People get offended. And no one wants to offend people. But Jesus is the rock of offense. And so we have to grapple with things that are quite difficult for us to, like, because uh, the flesh hates that. So be careful of that, okay? The Bible warns about this. And, the, and in Hebrews 2 verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. A wave comes, whoosh, knocks you off the boat, and you just drift away with that wind of doctrine. And Jesus is there, and you drifted away. How did you, how did you lose Jesus? You lost his teachings. You lost his truths. If you start to believe a lie, you'll end up following a false Jesus. So grapple with these things. Study your Bible. All right. And stay within the bounds of the Bible. Don't go beyond the scriptures. So another point on staying with the ship. 
as this ship is now, it's going through storms, at one point they throw all the food offboard. You know you, you, you think you're going to die. And you start throwing everything. They're throwing all their luggage, all their clothes, all the stuff that they're taking with them, from, everything gets thrown overboard. They just want to survive. And uh, again, this graphic picture for me of what it, sometimes it feels like to stay with Jesus. I, I remember you know, coming to the Lord and um, Him starting to um, want me. It's a bit like, I always think, God says he's a jealous God, and maybe we can understand it because we love. My wife of how many years is it now? 28. I think it's 28 years. 28 years. When we got married, I, I, want, I didn't want to share her with anyone. I, I, I wanted us to be faithful to each other for the rest of our lives. The thought of her visiting an old boyfriend was like, Psh, it's not going to happen. Because uh, why, would you, why would you even want to do that? Can you imagine? Get married and I don't know how many years. Just your wife or your husband, your new husband, just says, hey, would you mind? I just want to go and visit my old, my ex. We can spend a night there. You're just going to be in no ways. And, and God says he's jealous because he loves us with a love greater than our love is. And so he does not want to share us. And so one of the things that he starts to do is he starts to, he, in some ways, we have to throw everything off the boat at some point to remain with him. And I'll never forget for me when I came home the night I got saved and the Lord began to teach me to throw things off the boat so that I could stay on it. Because the boat was going to sink if I didn't throw them off. It was swearing. It was marijuana. It was going into trances it was it was then it went deeper as the lord kept saying you need to throw more off this boat and i had to start throwing off my identity as a surfer uh, the things that i wanted to give my life to i and I, I saw my friends not throw things off their boats i'll give you an example of how this worked um i'm jesus i don't belong to me anymore but i love surfing i'm one of those people if i i'd i i work because I love Jesus because honestly, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be in Indonesia right now and I'd serve happily every day of my life for the rest of my life. I, I can keep myself occupied. I don't need, I just, I can, I'm happy to do that. But I knew when I came to him that I, I had to throw everything that I had off the boat to stay with him. And so I remember little things that started to happen. Um, when you get saved, there's nightclubs in town, aren't there? And it's kind of cool to go to them, isn't it? I mean, it's like trendy, and it's, it's good-looking people, and it's like maybe you get noticed. And so you, you kind of, and I remember being saved now. And I, we used to go to nightclubs a lot. And then I got saved. And it was just like, I remember just going, does Jesus still want me to do this? In fact, for me, I used to listen to a lot of music. And um, when I got saved, there was no good Christian music. Like Christian music, when I got saved, was, was terrible. Like you can still find almost any kind of genre of Christian music today. But when I got saved, basically it was country and western or weird. And, and I remember just coming to the Lord and I love Bob Marley, I love The Cure, I love Pixies, I love all these bands. And I remember the Lord just saying, stop listening to them. And I was like, my whole, like every, this is my whole life. Stop listening to them. And I had to start throwing things off the boat. In our days, we still had tapes, just before CDs. So throwing away my tapes. I had no music for about two years because we could get no good Christian music. 
And then a friend of mine came back from America and he had a couple of tapes of these bands in America. And we were like, oh, this is actually cool music. And we started finding music that we could listen to. But for about two years, I just didn't have music because I had to throw it off the boat. And then it carried on. It got deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, I remember my friends going to Indonesia to surf. I'm just going to go for a year to Indonesia and surf. And I remember thinking, I could, you know how cheap it is in those days to live in Indonesia? You could pretty much do nothing, just surf every day. But I knew I wasn't my own, and I had to throw that off my boat. Here's one of the things that I did see happen too. In the uh, early 90s, South Africa was going through a massive turmoil. There was talk of violence, and they were going to kill people in the streets. And it was kind of a really weird time to be... I mean, some of the older guys can remember that time, and it was kind of a little bit scary. And a lot of young people in those days, in those days, you could pretty much go to most nations in the world just if you wanted to go and work and make money. South Africa didn't make good money. You could go to Australia, Europe, England, and you could make a lot of money. You could get in there easily as a South African. And just so a lot of my friends just went like this. Hey, I'm finished school. I've finished varsity. I'm going to go overseas and find myself for a year. So I'm going to go to England and I'm going to earn pounds and or I'm going to go to Australia and I'm going to earn Aussie dollars and I'm just going to... And they went. And I kind of thought, Lord, I'd love to go. But I'm not my own. Lord, do you want me to go? And I realized, I realized this. Why, was I, why would I want to go? And I had to ask myself that question honestly. Why do I want to go overseas? The money's good. But does Jesus say I must follow money anywhere in the Bible? Didn't he say that if I look after his kingdom, he'll look after mine? So if I chase money, then money becomes my God. If I chase finding myself, Jesus said, if you try and find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And so I remember my friends just going and just drifting with the wind, drifting with what was happening. They went overseas and they all backslid. In fact, one of my friends did a count. He had a 158 of the young people went overseas. And in a, year, a year after they left, that's in one year, 158 young people went overseas. And a year later, he tried to find out how many of them, were, how they were doing. So they began to try and find out where they were. And they were all over the world. And in one year, those young people, I knew that church. They were radical, passionate, Jesus-loving young people. In one year, guess how many were still serving Jesus? Out of 158, two. I saw friends that were about to go into ministry with me that went and they became cocaine dealers overseas, started rave clubs. Um, I, I just saw so many of them fall away because if you try and find your life, you'll lose it. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Do not go with the world. Don't do what your friends are doing. Stay in the boat and throw everything off that gets in the way. I'm so glad that, I, you know what's funny? My friends went to go and find themselves and lost themselves. And I stayed. And you know what Jesus has done for me? Do you know how many nations I've been in now? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what God, I, I gave those things up, but he has given me nations all over the world. I, I, I can actually be on the road full time now. Just traveling nations. And, and, and what I gave up, Jesus gave back to me. But if you try and, if you don't throw the things off your boat, you're going to sink it. 
So watch yourselves. Some of you are amazing, you know, watching you young guys standing up here and finishing varsity, what now? It's kind of scary, isn't it? In our day, we had to go to the army for two years, which really was scary. It was like, I wanted to surf, and I wasn't sure if I was going to get a surfing pass going to the army for two years. It was, you know, go to the army or go to jail. So, so I studied as long as I could. Because I didn't really want to go to the army, and I didn't know what that meant for me. But I remember finishing up and thinking, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? But I had to listen to the Lord, and I had to do the things that the Lord told me to do. And he kept me, but I had to stay with the ship. So, how do we, again, remaining with Jesus, and this is what it looks like. Every day, how many of you know tomorrow you're going to have to face some decisions? I mean, life is full of those moments where you think, what am I going to do? You fall in love. Should I marry? Should I have kids? Should I take this career opportunity? There's so many things coming your way. But here's the thing you've got to do. Remain in the boat, even if it means it looks like things that really are amazing might be lost to you. Because the devil, I've often said this, if there's a price in your head, the devil will match it. So if he knows this is the thing that I can take you out of God's purposes for, he will give that to you like he did Jesus. You want the world? Bow down and I'll give it to you. He'll come to you and he'll say, you want the world? It's mine. I'll give you what you want. Just do it my way. Don't do it his way. And you have to make that choice of remaining in the boat. In Galatians 5 verse 25, we, we read a little bit of what that looks like. And it's, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here's the amazing thing as a Christian. I don't serve Jesus who's just you know, lived 2,000 years ago and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. I serve Jesus who sent his Holy Spirit to be with me until he comes to take me. And the Spirit will be with me to the very end of the age. And so I will live by the Spirit. And I will keep in step with the Spirit. And I love that picture of keeping in step. Have you ever, have you ever watched a war movie where there's guys walking through a landmine field or something like that? And you know, if you take one foot wrong, you might die. So the first duck walks. And you, 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 what are you, you going to do? Are you just going to kind of like... Or are you going to be going like, where exactly did he put that foot? And you, you keep in step with the one in front of you. The Bible tells us, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And that means when God wants you to go through a door, he'll make it very clear. If it's not clear, just wait. Don't move. Keep in step. Sometimes with God, it does feel like this. God, I really need you to tell me now. Like, but the deadline is like 12 o'clock and it's 11.30. And you're going to have a lot of those moments. And I think God takes us here sometimes to test us. So are you really going to remain in me? or are you gonna, how, how long are you going to wait for? And do you trust me that even if the store closes, that I might have something better for you? But so often we just don't. We grasp at those things. And we actually drift away from the boat. So keep in step with him. And that means a daily walking with him, listening to him. In John 12, 26, I'll never forget when the Lord called me. He gave me four scriptures. And uh, I was talking to him about, you know, do you want me to serve me? And he started speaking to me through the Bible. And this was one of the scriptures he gave me, but it's such a beautiful scripture. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. In other words, I'm keeping a step. Where he is, I'm going. And if he's not leading me there, I ain't going there. I'm going to go where he goes. 
And for each one of you, the Lord has given you the Holy Spirit. He says he will not leave you as orphans. And if you learn to open your heart, and if you learn, and again, the elders and the deacons can pray with you and pray for you to, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he is there to, to lead you into everything that God's got for your life. And so how you remain in Jesus is you keep in step with the Spirit. And if you listen and you ask, he's faithful to lead you. Leonard and so many others here can say how the Lord has led us this far. And we know he'll lead us all the way to the end. Okay. So stay with the boat. Um, let me jump down a little bit. In Psalm 37 verse 34, it says this. Wait for the Lord. Turbo backfiring. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways. Two things. Keep his ways and wait for him. As you walk your Christian walk, this is what it means to remain, to menno, to remain in Jesus. And I thought I'd just tell you a story of how the Lord began to teach some of these things and how real it can get. So... And, and, and I'm trying to, I'm telling this story really to try. This was one of my radical stories, but it, it was one of those times that the Lord was just showing me what it meant to keep in step with Him. I'd been witnessing to, um, when I first got saved, I, I wasn't able to preach like this. I mean, I had a great testimony. So I think a week after I got saved, I shared when I got baptized and people were crying. It was amazing. I got saved out of drugs and people were like, it was amazing. I had long hair and everyone was like, yay! You know, I was like a scum of the earth that had come to Jesus. And, um, and then I got to speak at schools and I shared my testimony. That was amazing. Uh, and then, but, I, but I was hungry to tell everyone about Jesus. So what I would do when I had free time is I would walk the streets of the town that I was in. It was Port Elizabeth. I'd walk through Port Elizabeth streets praying. And I'd go, God, give me someone to speak to. And I would just pray and walk. And the Lord led me down some dark, dark streets. And I ended up finding some prostitutes on street corners. And I started telling them about Jesus. And eventually I led three of them to the Lord. Then uh, I, they started introducing me to their friends. And there were Satanists and all sorts of people that I got to, you know, just the worst of the worst. And I was with these people and we were telling about Jesus and driving demons out. It was amazing. <laughs> and uh, it was very exciting just seeing what the, how the Lord is using us. But because I started leading prostitutes and they started leading their friends and bringing them to church... The, the main brothel in Port Elizabeth started getting a bit empty. And um, the lady that led the brothel was actually a witch. Um, and her boyfriend was uh, one of the main guys in the police force in Port Elizabeth. So the two of them owned this brothel, which was still illegal in those days. And, um, and so I'm leading all these girls to the Lord, and they're losing their income. So the one day, one of the girls I'd led to the Lord, um, we got her a job at spa, and she was working as a teller. And uh, the one night, she, one day she left work and she never arrived home. And so I got a phone call from these girls and they were like, her name was Ricky. He said, Ricky, Ricky's gone. She's just, she left spa where she was working uh, and she didn't arrive home. Don't know where she is. So you don't know what to do. So we pray. And I'm like, Lord, what do we do? Where, where's Ricky? And uh, I'm praying and praying and praying and praying. I know something's happened, but I don't know what. I held, the Lord says this to me. Andrew, just go get into your car. I'm like, okay. I had an old combi. I remember I drove, sat down and sat in it. I'm like, okay, I'm praying in tongues. Lord, what do you want me to do? Drive. 
I started driving. Where'd I go? Go left. Go straight. And I just drove, and just as I would literally drive, just praying, like, I don't know where I'm going, Lord. You just drive, drive, drive. And eventually I got right down at the beachfront in Port Elizabeth, and I stopped outside of this block of flats, second row from the beach. There's a block of flats. I think there were about eight or nine stories in that block of flats. And I stood in front of it. And the Lord said, stop here. Now, I don't, I've never been in these flats. I don't know anyone in these flats. I've, uh, this is not my hood. I don't. <laughs> but, but, but I'm at this block of flats. And I, and I just know that I need to be here. And I'm like praying in tongues. And I'm like, God, what do I do now? I don't know. There's a block of flats. Like, I don't know what to do. So I went to the door of the flats and I started praying. And a person walked down the stairs. They had a security door, so I couldn't get in. A person walked down, opened the door, and said, Sorry, do you want to come inside? And I was like, Yeah. And they opened the door for me, then walked back up the stairs. And I'm like, What's going on? So I'm in the block of flats. And I'm thinking, Okay, this is great. I'm in the block of flats. But there's like eight stories. I don't even know how many flats are in this thing, because there's a whole lot of flats on each floor. So I'm praying, God, what do I do? And I, I climbed in the lift. Praying, 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 five, five. Bing, door opens. I walk out and the, like flats. I've never been in my life. I'm like, Lord, what now? Left. Three flats in. This is it. Stop. I'm thinking this is either going to go really bad or really good right now. <laughs> but I'm knocking on this door. So I knocked on the door, not knowing what to expect. And the door opens, and the woman that owned the brothel, the witch, opened the door. And she was dressed in black, and the, behind her it was black, and there was a pentagram on the ground. And there was on each side of the pentagram was a woman also sitting on the ground with candles all around. And I knew like I knew like I knew that they had taken Ricky at that moment. So thankfully she was a lady, so I, I, she tried to close the door, and I was able to stop it. But I, I mean, I've, I don't know, I don't, I've, I've never actually met her, I just know who she is. So I, I held the door open and I pushed it open and she just started attacking me like a demon. And I was trying to fight her off, but I think Ricky's in this flat. All these witches start screeching, ah, and they start attacking me. And I'm fighting my way through these witches. Somewhere in this thing, Ricky's here. I came into the one bedroom and there she was passed out on the bed. They had actually taken her as she was driving home, pulled her into a car and had dragged her so badly she was unconscious. So I picked her up and I fought my way out. And went downstairs and it was amazing. took her to my friends and there were doctors at the church and we looked after her and she came through. But when I went home a day later, on the door that I was staying at, was a, um, they'd taken a cat and they had killed it and uh, had dipped it in something and it ate all the flesh away. So it was just the cat's skull. Had taken human hair and had given it a little bocky, a little beard, a little top hat. And I remember it had a bottle on its body that it had broken. So it's just the skull with this thing and a noose around its head. And the cat was hanging on the door like this. And when I saw the cat, these girls who'd come out of, the, uh, out of this thing said, she's put it, she's put, she's going to kill you. Like, it's serious now. They're going to try and put a curse on you. And if that doesn't work, they're going to kill you. And this is dark underworld of Port Elizabeth. So I think, well, I can't go to the police because her boyfriend. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. So I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know what to do. So I went and I prayed, because that's all I can do. So I go pray, Lord, and I'm praying and praying and praying and praying. And I'm thinking, Lord, is she going to kill me now? What's going to happen? And, I, and I'm praying, and I feel the Holy Spirit come up in me. And I heard myself say this as the Lord prayed through me. Lord, would you change that woman's heart to see you? 
But, Lord, if she won't repent, and you know she's going to do damage to us, would you remove her? And I knew the Lord heard my prayer. I stopped praying. And I went back and I said, it's going to be all right. 24 hours later, she was only 40 years old. She dropped dead of a stroke. Her boyfriend got arrested. There was a big drug deal that went on. Followed it up the food chain. And this policeman got arrested and put in jail. And the two people that were out to kill me literally got removed. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus said, better that I go. Because if I go, I'll send him to you. And he'll be with you to the end of the age. And he'll lead you and guide you into truth. But you and I, we must remain in him. And you might not have stories like mine, but I can promise you this. If you walk with him, you'll have stories of your own. Because the Lord will be with you to the very end. Because he wants you to bear fruit for the Father. He wants to take your life and make it beautiful. From wherever you come from, no matter what mess, no matter how broken, God wants to come into your reality and say, come with me, remain in me. And, and in me, you will bear much fruit for my Father's glory. But you must remain in me. And he's faithful that if you would remain in him, he says, I will remain in you. And I will produce the fruit that the Father's looking for in you. But you remain in me. You're going to leave this place tonight. And there's winds that are going to come at you. There's going to be things that you're going to have to throw off your boat. But if you remain with him, I promise you this. He is faithful to finish the work that he starts. And you will be blown away at the things Jesus will do in your life, like I am. And it will be different for you. But he does Things that we can't even dream of or imagine. But here's the thing. You can live your life your way and die. <laughs> Not bear fruit that he's looking for. Or you can come to him and find life. Find the reason why he made you. Give your life to him. Serve him. And I can promise you this. If you serve him, you serve the one who made you. Who breathed life into you. Who loves you more than anything and anyone you'll ever know. He'll take you. and will remain with you. And he'll be with you. Until you breathe your last. And then he'll simply introduce you properly to himself face to face. And you'll be with him forever. But you must come to him. And you must remain in him. And so what I want to do is I want to close this meeting with a prayer. And I want to actually give you an opportunity if you don't know him. To get to know him. Because like me, you might have grown up in a church or not. The reality of it is this. God is real. He's alive. And he loves you. And you're here for a reason. And if you will come to him, he promises that he'll forgive you of whatever you've done wrong. In fact, when he died on the cross, the picture of the cross, Jesus literally paid the price in full for every single thing that I did wrong and every single thing that you did wrong. So that if you believe in him, you will not perish in your sin. You won't be separated from God anymore. He will come into your world, become real to you, and walk with you to, to present you one day the way he made you to be. The devil will come and offer you the world. But the end of that road leads to death and eternal separation from God. And so why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads. I, I don't know everyone here. But I do know that there's some people here that do not know Jesus. They might have known about him. They might have been in church or not. But here's the thing. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 3 verse 23 that every single person on planet earth has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We've all lived wrong. I did drugs, I did the occult, but you likewise have done things that are wrong. And in Romans 6.23, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The consequence of your actions, of living your life your way, is eternal separation from God. So that you might know or believe in Him, but you'll never know Him. But the Bible tells us that God so loved the world, He loved you, that He sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross so that whoever believes in Him would not pay the price for their sins, but it would be paid for in full by Jesus. And you will become known, it will receive the, the gift, the gracious gift of God, which is this, to be known as a child of God. And He'll come into your world, and He'll pull you out of it, and He'll come into you, and draw you into Him, so that you will walk with Him. And God will no longer be something out there, but He was someone that's closer to you than your own skin. And He will be with you until the very end. But you need to come to Him. And you need to remain in Him. There is no other way, the Bible says, that men can be saved but through Jesus Christ. And so right now, if you're listening to my voice and you don't know Him and you want to know Him, I want to introduce you to Him. I want you to come to Him and I want you to have your sins forgiven, even as He promises to do it. And I want you to, 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 to help you that He will come into your life Forgive you of whatever you've done wrong, like you did me, and become your God. And so the question I've got for you is this. Do you know him? And do you want to know him? And if you're listening to my voice and you realize deep down inside that you are separated from him because of the things you've done, you're right in those things. You are separated. But God died on a cross to break down the wall, the barrier, and to come into your world to forgive you because your sins have been paid for and to come in and be your God. And if you're here tonight and you've not given your life to Him and you say, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. I don't want to just breathe oxygen. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be saved. I want to be part of your family. Then with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just respond and lift up your hand and say, yep, that's me. I want Jesus in my life. Thank you. Just lift up anyone else. Thank you. Come lift up your hand high so I can see. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is the most amazing thing. You know, the Bible says that God right now, God who made everything, is rejoicing and singing because his love for you is so great. Anyone else? Just lift up your hand. Thank you. I want us to do something now. If you came with a friend and you lifted up your hand, maybe just, uh, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And I want all those people that responded or wanted to respond to come out. And if you came with a friend and you lifted up your hand, just the two of you come out and we'll pray with you up front here. Come on, I want to introduce you to God right here in this place. Like I met him 20-something or 30-something years ago and everything changed. Come out and join me up front. Come, bring your friends out if they responded. There were a number of people that did respond. It's awesome. Come stand over here in front. Come out. Don't, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't look at them. Look at me. Shame. You don't want to look at those guys. Just face the front. Come out. Come out. Come out. You can face the front. Amen, man. That's awesome. It's awesome.